is on. Good morning, church. In India, when somebody comes forward to speak, they say, Hallelujah. And the people shout it back. So you got to shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's good. Well done. As uh, your pastor David said, I'm the India director for Equipping Leaders International. I've been here a couple times before. Love your church. You're one of our partner churches. I wish you were closer to Atlanta where I live so we could visit more easily and more often. It's about a two and a half hour drive. It's not too far. And uh, it's a lot closer than India, which is a 30 hour drive uh, in a big round bus. And uh, haven't been there in a year and a half. And uh, not sure my team's going to go this year. But last, last spring when all this happened, I had two teams in India when when the whole world shut down, had to scramble to get them out so that they wouldn't get caught neither in India nor in Europe. And the Lord was gracious. We managed to do that. And then we started praying about what to do. And, and if you had asked me two years ago, Jim, are you ever going to do online training? I would have said, nope, it won't work. Um, but Jim was wrong. And it has worked out of necessity. And so we put together 40 Zoom rooms last year, and a laptop, a widescreen TV and a hotspot in each of those rooms. And while they were locked down to less than 10 people in a room, we were training them in Bible and doctrine in rooms of 10. And so the, the work still went on. Um, one of our most zealous evangelists, Victor Kumar, his wife came up with this clever idea last spring and summer. You weren't allowed to be outside unless it's, when they were locked down unless it was of necessity and grocery shopping was of necessity. So everybody in their 150 church movement carried groceries to church. <laughs> because that way, if they got stopped on the street, they were on the way to the grocery store. And so that their churches never shut down. They just pulled them all back into cell churches, house churches with 10 people or less. Right now, COVID is slamming uh, India. As Pastor said, a million in the last week. Who knows the actual number? They were like number two or number three, but that's just because they're not counting very well. Uh, I was telling Joe and Mark before the service, we've been boasting about doing a million and now maybe two million vaccines a day. If you did a million vaccines a day in India, it would take four years to vaccine those 1.3 billion people. Three years to do all the adults. Imagine such a thing. And so now my friends are telling me they have COVID. Um, one dear pastor's wife, Sangeeta, she also has typhoid. And so I'm going to stop right now and pray for India. Is that okay? Let's pray together. Father, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are struggling with COVID, but particularly in India this morning, um, the virus is running rampant. And yet, Lord, this has been a year of great fruitfulness as people in India are more open to the gospel than they've ever been. And so we pray that you would uh, save our friends, that you would save many lives, that you would end the, the, the daily deaths, but Lord, that you would continue the looking up. However you're going to work that out in, your, out in your plan, we submit to you, but we pray that you would do it and bring fame to the name of Jesus while you bring mercy to your beloved, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We're in Psalm 145, and uh, I'm going to read that really quickly. Um, I, so 
A lot of churches read the, ser- read the passage before the sermon. Uh, this is a long passage, so this doesn't count against my time. I always like to have somebody else read it because then it doesn't count against my time. Uh, we'll just be late for lunch. It's not really a big deal. Hear the word of God. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is Jehovah. When Lord is all caps, it's his name. It's either Yahweh or, as we say in India, Jehovah. And greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Jehovah is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jehovah is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Jehovah, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Jehovah is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Jehovah upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Jehovah is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Jehovah is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Jehovah preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of Jehovah and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but let the word of our God stand forever. Amen? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen? Say it with me, every child can. God is great. Come on. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen? You know, you, know, you don't have to say much more than a kid's prayer to sum up the story of Scripture. Our God is a gracious, faithful, and just Savior who is both great and good. Now, if God was great but not good, he would be a fearsome tyrant waging war against a defenseless defenseless world. On the other hand, if God was good and not great, he would be a toothless grandfather like me who, who means well, but his social security runs out before the end of the month. He, he would be like George Burns from that old movie, Oh God, wishing people well, but powerless to overcome evil. It would be up to us to save ourselves. Well, the good news is, is that God is both powerful and fearsome and good and forgiving. Now here's where you shout a hallelujah. 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 David says, every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever. 
So he writes this psalm of descriptive praise. It's an acrostic poem, which means that each verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a great way for a poet to pile up overwhelming joy and adoration for our God. And this poem only has one imperative. There's only one command in the poem, and it's the last phrase of the psalm where David calls us all to join him in forever praise of our great and gracious king. I have four points this morning, four things that I want to show you. And the first is that God is great. David says God's greatness is unsearchable. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his truths and his ways past finding out. In Romans, Paul spends 11 chapters laying out the incredible grace of God for undeserving sinners like you and me. And like David, he can't help but lift up his voice in praise. And he says that, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And one of the courses that we teach our pastors in India, who most of them have an, either an eighth grade or a tenth grade education, they're not slow or dumb. They're just uneducated. And so we educate them. And we teach them for free. That's one of the reasons you support us, is so that we can give free education to pastors who make $100 a month. So in that course of the doctrine of God, we teach our, uh, about God's attributes, both his shared attributes and his unshared attributes, or, or as theologians put it, his communicable and his uncommunicable attributes. So David is thinking about his unshared attributes, the greatness of God that is thought about, dreamed about, and even named, but is really unknowable. He says, God's greatness is unsearchable. So I thought I'd share with you five of those attributes this morning really quickly. The first is self-existence, or aseity, as the theologians say. You and I are not self-existence. We need help breathing. My wife, Sherry, is a home hospice nurse. And she will tell you that at the end, willpower alone will not keep you alive. It's not possible. But God's not like that, beloved. He, he is life itself, which means he doesn't need us. But, beloved, he shares himself with us. Secondly, is transcendent. And that means that God is above all things. He rules the universe. Every atom, every quark, there are 100 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion stars, and he oversees it all. He is, thirdly, imminent, which means he is everywhere all the time. Now, I don't know how he pulls that trick off, but he does. He sticks closer than your best friend. He is immutable, which means he's unchangeable. He never changes. He is a rock and a fortress, and his promises are yes and amen. He is eternal. He lives forever in the past and the future. Time has no hold on him. Now, we're, we're immortal. In Christ, we'll never die. But we have a beginning. God has no beginning, no end. And you know what the definition of eternity is? It's the, it, it's the length of time it will take you to fully enjoy God's presence. So David says, God is so great, I'm going to tell everybody I can, my parents, my children, my friends, my colleagues, my neighbors, 
When our kids were young, we have five kids, they're all grown, and uh, we just found out this week we're having our 12th grandchild. And, 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 and when they, my kids were young and we ate around the table together, remember when people used to do that? And, and there was no TV on. And, and, I, and, I, and I would ask my kids, what's the best thing that happened today and what's the worst thing? And, and it was a faith-building exercise as we would declare God's faithfulness and preserving power. And so now when I teach young uh, people how to pray, we use the Lord's Prayer. J Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, so we figure we ought to teach ours. And I tell them, keep track of your answers. You know, in most prayer meetings, people come with prayer requests. At the meetings I lead, we come with answers. That way we focus on God instead of our needs. And so I teach people to keep track, write down the answers to your prayers. You would be amazed. And when you read, and then that way you can meditate on God's wondrous works in your life and people you pray for. You'll see God answer those prayers. And so he shares his glory with us by hearing and answering our prayers. And when you read through the Psalms, you find that these songwriters love to sing about what God does specifically to save his people, to answer their prayers. You know, in sports, we talk about the GOAT. Everybody know what the GOAT is? It's an acronym. It stands for the greatest of all time. And in the NBA, people argue about whether it's Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Come on. We all know it's Jordan. And, uh, you know, we might, we call Mark Air Bershay because he's got incredible lift when he jumps. <laughs> Beloved, Jesus is really the goat, and I don't mean the bad, bad sense. He's the greatest of all time, and he's making his name famous in every nation and every generation. And David says that God is so great that he's going to declare, he's going to meditate. That means he reads and thinks about the Bible every day. He's going to speak, and he's going to sing. Now, is that you, beloved? Is that the nature of your relationship with God? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'm like this. I, Jim likes to sing his own praises. Are you like me? And, and I often meditate on my obedience and my good deeds. It makes me feel better, right, that I'm accomplishing something. Are you like me or are you like David? Singing your own praises or singing the praises of God? Second thing I wanted to show you this morning is that God is good. Back in Exodus 32, the people of God have freshly arrived at Mount Sinai, and Moses has been on the mountain of God for a while, so they violated the second commandment. Maybe you remember this story. And they made golden calves. And, and uh, now, mind you, they, they weren't worshiping other gods. That's not how idolatry works. They were guilty of what we call syncretism, that they were worshiping the calves in the name of Jehovah. They weren't calling out on for Baal. They were worshiping Baal in the name of Jehovah. That's how that works. God, so God's going to wipe them out, and Moses prays for God's mercy, and then he boldly makes this request. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will pray, proclaim before you, my name, Jehovah, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for men shall not see me and live. So that's what God says to Moses. And then God hides him in a cleft of a rock with his hand. I don't know how he did that, but he does. 
and, and he passes before him. And as Jehovah passed before him, he proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is where David gets verse 8 in the psalm. If you have a Bible open, you can see it. David says, Jehovah is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He just gets that from the book of Exodus. You see, the worst sin you or I can commit is treason against God, turning away to worship idols of our own imagination, meditating on some other power. So that's what Adam did. He focused on the boundaries instead of the bounty of God's presence. Whatever you desire Whatever you seek when you are sad or lonely or depressed or broken or, or even overjoyed, if it's not Jesus, then it's an idol. It could be family. It could be success. It could be sex. It could be Netflix. It could be alcohol. It could be food. Food, that's, that's what I look for for comfort. They call it comfort food, right? Everybody's got the COVID-19, or at least the COVID-5. And most of us are syncretists, you see, like the Israelites. We focus on our idols in the name of Jesus, or we ignore them while we're worshiping. And what we find here in the story of Moses and the song of David is that God is good to all. He offers all idolaters forgiving grace. Now, there's a warning in these verses of forgiveness. Warning that if you hold on to your sin, questioning his goodness, shifting blame to him and others, then your forgiveness will wait and it'll affect your whole tribe. But God is good to all. He shows no worldly partiality at all. He dispenses forgiving grace to old and young, to rich and poor, to black and white, to men and women, to bartender and engineer, to prostitutes, and even homeschool moms. To anyone who calls on his name in repentance, his mercy abounds everywhere. And that's a wondrous thing because we need it. Beloved, I need that grace. And the very nature of his kingdom is marked by his wondrous grace. David is Israel's king, but he knows God is the real king, and he's celebrating the nature of God's kingdom in this psalm. Four times in verses 11 to 13, he mentions God's kingdom. And then he tells us exactly what kind of kingdom is. It's a kingdom with a faithful and a just king. Look again in verse 13. We'll start at the second half. It says, Jehovah is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Jehovah upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Did you notice in that what we just read that it said God keeps his promises? 
He is faithful in all his words, David said. Faithful in everything he says and promises. He keeps his word. He follows his promises. He answers prayers in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. We just finished the election season last fall. We were talking about it this morning. And, and one thing we know is that politicians don't keep their promises. I can probably get the amen easily there. But beloved, God does. He always keeps his word. And God is kind. In the age of Twitter and Trump and Biden, we know that kindness is no longer prevailing in our culture. It's gone, it seems like. Instead, we have cancel culture. Let's not participate. The gospel is a forgiving culture. We forgive. David is celebrating that in the kingdom of God, faithfulness prevails. Now, I want to be a part of that kingdom, I don't know about you, where those who are weak and weary from wearing masks and losing jobs and being locked down are not forgotten or dismissed or ignored where the loss of loved ones is cared about in heavenly places, where we forgive, we don't cancel. Even our political enemies. You know, lockdowns and closed schools really only benefit the educated and the upper middle class, mostly Presbyterians. While the poor, while the poor lose their jobs and others lose their business, but you see, in the kingdom of God, the poor share the table of God with the rich. That's what's in Psalm 22, the victory chant of Christ. That the poor eat and are satisfied, and the prosperous eat and worship together. Poor and rich share the table of Christ together. We're going to do that in a few minutes. Poor and rich are going to share the table together. In the song of Baron Hannah, do you remember Hannah? She couldn't get pregnant. And, her, and Elkanah, her husband, had a second wife who could just spit out those babies. And uh, there was a lot of envy in that household and bitterness. So when God heard her prayers and gives her a son named Samuel, here's what she sings. The bows of the mighty one are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Isn't that good? And the barren has born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. You see, in the kingdom of God, there is a reordering of things, and the broken are not forgotten. They are elevated. It's such incredible good news. Here's, here's part of Mary's song, the Magnificat. She says, my Savior has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with rich with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. My friends, I've been voting for 40 years and I no longer approach these elections with much hope because the promise of God in Ephesians is that it's through the church that God is revealing his kingdom and advancing his will and his way. In the kingdom of God, all eyes look to Jesus and in hope because he remembers your name. And then look at verse 17. Last, lastly, God is just. 
The Lord Jehovah is righteous. I think it should be translated just. It's the same word. Jehovah is just in all his ways and kind in all his works. Jehovah is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. Jehovah preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. You see, God, our God, is both just and kind. Both. Imagine that. Big city mayors want to be thought of as understanding, and the president wants to be seen as tough. Justice is the word of the moment. Because of George Floyd and others, we know that some folks have not been treated with justice by the police. Come on, we knew that before this, didn't we? And we have a long history of mistreating black folk and poor folk. God desires his justice, beloved, to flow through his people. We're the people of justice. And so along with some, of, some other men in my Friday morning prayer cell, there's about eight of us that meet for prayer every Friday. And so now we're mentoring inmates at the Douglas County Jail. Man, is our system skewed against the poor. It's not just blacks. It's poor people are suffering so much. If you were arrested, you, you know, you're good Presbyterians, but if you were arrested, most likely you could afford bail and a lawyer. Oh, it would sure, certainly hurt. Dry your savings up maybe. Put a lien on your house. Whatever you have to do, you'd do it though. But, but you would do it. Poor people are stuck. That's who we mentor in the jail. Poor. The only people in the jail are either murderous felons or poor people who can't afford bail. No bail. They barely ever see their lawyer. Most of the time it happens at, in the courtroom five minutes before they appear before the judge. Many poor inmates serve more time waiting for their hearing than the sentence that they will receive. Did you know that? That a lot of, if, if they're not super felonious that they get off with time served because they've already served more time waiting than the action actually takes. Right now, we have men in the Douglas County Jail whose hearings were meant to be the first week of last April. And because of COVID, they are stuck. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness even there was wickedness i said in my heart god will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work you know i'm fairly certain that defunding the police will not bring justice they won't maybe increasing salaries and training would do it but the real hope we have beloved is that nothing is unseen every secret sin every evil thought every unjust beating out in the streets and in your homes, every good deed. It's all seen by the God who judges the righteous and the wicked. Listen, listen, God answers our prayers for justice. Let's pray them. That's what he says right here. Through missional prayer, we become more like Jesus, a people of justice and kindness, a people who hear the cry of the weak and broken and show mercy. Beloved, God preserves those who fear him. Here's the good news. We cannot lose. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray. 
Not so that everything will be nice and rosy. That's not the way it works in a foreign land when you're an alien, an unwanted alien in most places. That's who we are. That's what the Bible says. We're strangers in a strange land. And David is reminding us that God must preserve us because it's often so hard. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself, especially when you can't even see them. It's hard to forgive others again and again. It's hard to put away your pride and help those who have made bad choices and are in a homeless camp or in jail. It's hard. It's impossible to love the marginalized without prayer. I can't do it. You can't do it. You want to know why our Friday guys are mentoring at the jail? We started praying. We prayed for a year that we would love the poor and the marginalized. I'm an upper-middle-class Presbyterian preacher. I don't know any poor people, do you? They don't live on my street. Do they live on yours? So we started praying, Lord, give us somebody to love. And we prayed it often. And it was a year before the, mar- before the, the poor and the marginalized that became lovely to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that he moved us to mentor at the jail. It took a year. It's impossible to love your neighbor enough to share the gospel with them unless you first love them in prayer. It's impossible to walk with love in the midst of personal and family suffering without prayer. That's how God preserves us. He preserves us so that we can walk as sons of God, seeking faithfulness and justice even though it's hard. Racial reconciliation will only happen through missional prayer with a change of our hearts and our lifestyles to love people who are different than us. The good news is that our great and gracious God is always near. He never forgets and he never walks away. Even when it's so hard that you don't know what to pray, he prays for you. Now how good is that? Well, my time is up. I got a little more. Should I keep going? Let me share with you the bad news then. You didn't know you were voting for that, did you? Here's the bad news. The bad news is is that life is often difficult. And we're forgetful people. We don't remember the stuff we've just remembered. It's hard to remember that God is great and good and faithful and just. In fact, it's impossible to be faithful in your worship in your life without God's grace. And the only way to survive, I'm convinced, is to be like David and to meditate on God's grace. That's how he survived. It's the only way you will. Beloved, if you're not regularly even de- meditate daily, if you're not regularly even daily meditating on the Bible and sharing Christ's glory in personal prayer or community prayer and worship, you're, you're just not going to survive. Or you're just going to barely cling to life. Life's too hard. It's a sinful world. It's like riding around all the time in a car with flat tires. It's bumpy. You won't make it. And, and we found out this year that Facebook worship is not enough. Amen? But neither is praying by yourself enough. Instead of living from victory to victory, you're, you'll live instead from sorrow to sorrow. That's how you measure it. You won't measure your life by mountaintop experiences. You'll be measuring by the valleys. And, and like Adam, you'll blame God and others for your trouble, and you're bound to be miserable 
And, and you might be a hit on Twitter joining the blame game, but you won't forgive others, and you might not be forgiven in heavenly places. It's bad. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. We've been looking at this good news for the last 30 minutes, and we've been singing about it all morning. The good news is that the king has come. His name is Jesus. He is the greater King David. He suffered and was tempted more than any other person, and yet he was faithful in your place and mine. He meditated on the glory of God in my place and yours so that we would be able to join him in living in a kingdom of faithfulness and justice. And he was righteous because we couldn't be. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of forgetting And he rose from the dead to give us new life, new memories, new joy, and unbreakable preserving grace. So I invite you to trust in him today, to renew your trust in his forgiving grace. Here's his promise. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's those two words faithful, just, he forgives. He forgives us countless sins and he cleanses us from all injustice, all hatred, all pride, all envy, and all hurt and grief. Now, how good is that? That is so, so good. And not only does he forgive, he's not just a judge who forgives and provides justice. He's a father He welcomes us to his big old house where the feast of the king never ends. That's why we're having communion. That's why you have it every week. That's the response to the gospel, to come to the feast. So say it with me. God is great. Here we go. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen? And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. And the elders can come forward. Our Father, we thank you for the grace that's so rich in this gospel psalm, revealing your greatness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your justice. How we honor you and love you for being our king. We thank you that we're in a kingdom that never ends, that we are immortal in Christ that even though life ends in this life, it it begins something so amazing we can't even imagine it. But what we know right now is in a fallen world, we need you, and we need to remember you. So would you grant us the grace of the Holy Spirit that as we come to the table this morning, that we would remember your greatness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your justice, and that you would encourage us and lift us up and give us new hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.